Good morning. My name is John McCormick. I am the Renovation U pastor here at Renovation Church. Happy New Year's Eve. Good to be with you all today. I don't know how it happened, but another year has come and gone. They continue to get faster every year. Someone should really do something about that. Um, I, if you know me, I am a huge Star Wars fan. I love, love Star Wars. In my home office, let me paint a picture for you. In my home office, I have Star Wars toys, Legos, a rug, eight movie posters, slippers, and even the original unedited theatrical versions of the original trilogy on VHS, which I don't even have a VHS player for, but I have them. Thank you for clapping. I appreciate that. But wait, there's more. Because before Disney came out with episode seven and threw out what was called the expanded universe of all the books and everything else that they made, I'd basically read every book, watched every movie, seen every possible show, watched all, played all the games. I'd, I'd done everything. To give you an idea of just how deep my insanity goes, I had watched the Star Wars holiday special three times. Those that laugh know the Star Wars holiday special is probably the most cringeworthy film ever made in the history of the world, and I watched it three times because I'm insane. It's safe to say that I've spent my entire life obsessed with Star Wars, and I've poured more of my time into learning more about it than almost anything else, and I found the stories, the characters, the ideas so enticing, so intriguing, so just, I don't know, overwhelmingly good that I had to know more. I had to know more about it. It's based on just the incredible draw it's had on me. I've spent time learning some of the most obscure and ridiculous facts you can imagine about Star Wars. And I know some of you just started thinking of questions to stump me later. Someone already stumped me for a service, so yay, I only know so much. But I love it. I love it. I just want to know more. And having this wealth of knowledge has allowed me to appreciate little details they put into movies or games or books that other people might not catch because they don't have all that context or wasted brain space as some people might call it. But I catch more things and I love it more. And I always want to know more, see more, experience more with Star Wars because it's so good. And don't get me wrong, you know, I love experiencing the same things over and over again. I won't tell you how many times I've watched the movies because it's super embarrassing for me. But when they change stuff then, that in my professional opinion, ruins Star Wars, I get a little more upset, you know? Just, just a little more upset than the average person because I've put a lot into it. I've invested a lot into it. And my question to you this morning is, do you have something like that in your life? Could be Star Wars, it could be an author maybe, it could be a movie series, maybe you're a big Lord of the Rings fan, it could be sports, maybe it's racing cars, I don't know, fill in the blank with whatever it is. But whatever it is for you, I imagine you're like me. You want to see more, you want to see bigger, you want to see better with that thing. Because as humans, we're wired. We're wired to keep searching, to keep learning, to keep growing. And so when we have something we're passionate about and excited about, we, we want to know more. We naturally pursue that. And we'll come back to that in a little bit as we go along this morning. But right now, we're going to continue in our series on the book of John. We're going to be finishing up chapter one this morning. So grab your Bibles or the Bible in front of you. On that Bible in front of you, we're going to be on page 724. We're starting at verse 43 this morning. We're finishing it up. So you can look for that little 43, and we'll be reading to the end of the chapter this morning. Let's read that. It says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one that Moses and the prophets that Moses wrote about in the law, and the one whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. 
Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This passage is perfectly timed for us this morning because New Year's Eve is a time of looking backwards at the past year and looking forwards to the year that's to come. And that's exactly what John does in this first chapter. He looks back at all these encounters that people have with Jesus and he looks forward at the very end to what Jesus is going to show, the greater things he promises to his disciples. And so we're in a unique place this morning that we get to appreciate it because we're in a unique same spot ourselves. Now this is an interesting story because this is the only place it occurs in the Bible, and it might feel a little strange to us this morning because we're missing some of the context. We don't know why Nathaniel starts off being super grouchy about Nazareth. Was it because there was regional rivalries, or he just didn't like the town, or maybe it was something happened to him right before this story and he was in a bad mood, maybe someone insulted or hurt him and he was grouchy? We just don't know. The Bible doesn't give us enough information. Scholars also don't agree on what, what is it talking about when we say under the fig tree? Is it the obvious he was literally under a fig tree? Or is it a reference to some rabbis at that time that would teach their students literally under fig trees? And so a phrase came from that called under the fig tree, where people who were studying the Jewish scriptures, or the Old Testament in our case, were said to be under the fig tree when they did that. Could have been that too. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, and so clearly it's not that important. But what is important is that When Nathanael shows up and Jesus describes him, he's wary, and then Jesus is able to say to him, I saw you under that fig tree. And that has an enormous impact on Nathanael. So think about this. Nathanael shows up, Jesus is like, you're an Israelite with no deceit. And he goes, how do you know me? I imagine him being really wary, like, how how do you know him? How can you describe me? I've just met you. And then Jesus drops the surprise on him saying, I saw you under the fig tree before you came. And Nathanael goes from being dismissive about Nazareth to suddenly declaring that Jesus is the Son of God and the King of Israel. That's a pretty huge shift, right? Imagine this happened to you. Imagine Jesus came in today and he said, hey, I saw you earlier today. Or, you know, I saw you last week. And, you know, that was a really great secret dance party you had to All I Want for Christmas is You. It was really, really good. That would have an impact on you. You'd be a little bit surprised, but it would have an impact on you, right? Because he saw something that he he wasn't there for. Now, I want to take a minute and unpack this interaction between Jesus and Nathanael, because it's really, really important for us today. So what I want to do is draw some parallels between the Old Testament and this passage that are key to helping us understand it. So look again in your passage at verse 47, and let's see that word that Jesus used. He says, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Deceit is the word that we care about right now. So think about deceit. Now, what I want to do is put up a passage from the Old Testament where this same word is used. This comes out of Genesis 27, 35, and it says this, but he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Now, it's that same word again, right? Deceitful, deceitfully, right? Deceit is that that root word there. And this comes out of a passage where the greater context is Jacob of 
Israelite fame, who's also known as Israel, Jacob has stolen the birthright of his older brother Esau, and now he has stolen the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. And this is Isaac saying to Esau, Isaac's the father of Jacob and Esau, saying, hey, he came and stole it deceitfully from you. Well, Jacob was known in his family for being deceitful. This is the second time now he's tricked his family and tricked his brother out of getting something. And so Jacob was known for being deceitful. And Nathaniel would have known this about Jacob. He is Israel. He is the father of the Israelite nation. And so they would know this from their scripture. And so Jesus walks up to Nathaniel and says, hey, let's do a little wordplay. Here's an Israelite. I'm going to say here's an Israel. Here is an Israel in whom there is no Jacob. See it? And there's no Jacob. It's actually kind of ironic and funny. Jesus is maybe making a joke here. He says, Nathanael is like Israel, the other name for Jacob, without having any Jacob in him, none of the deceitfulness. He's what Jacob was supposed to be when God encountered him and changed his name to Israel. Now can you see why Nathanael goes, how do you know me? That's a very big statement. It's a huge compliment to Nathanael. And Jesus explains that he saw him ahead of time, right? I saw you, and Nathaniel's response is, you are, you're the son of God. He just believes, no hesitation. And he can identify Jesus right away as, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. And the irony is, it takes Peter, who's basically the head of the disciples, much longer to get to the place where he will say, Jesus, you are the son of God. But Nathaniel gets it immediately. I guess good things can come out of Nazareth after all. Surprise. But the parallels don't stop here. They actually get more interesting. So take a look at the last verse. Let's look at that last verse in 51 one more time. Jesus says this right at the end. He says, Very truly I tell you, you, and there's a little footnote there, that you is actually plural. So he's not just talking to Nathaniel. He's talking to Nathaniel and Philip and whoever else is there with him. You, plural, will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is actually two different parallels to the Old Testament, two different references to the Old Testament. The first one is that word, son, or that phrase, son of man, that comes out of the book of Daniel, where Daniel is prophesying about the Savior that's going to come and deliver Israel, and he says, one like a son of man. And this is a title that Jesus will use kind of over and over again throughout his ministry to identify himself as the Messiah. The second part is in Genesis 28, 12. And it's a reference to this dream that Jacob has. He's on a journey. He lays down to sleep. He falls asleep and has this dream or this vision. And in the dream, he sees a stairway to heaven as he plays an amazing lick on his electric guitar and just rocks it. That didn't actually happen, but it's also really good. Jacob sees this stairway, right? He sees a ladder going up to heaven. And up and down on the ladder and on the stairway are these angels. They're going up to heaven and coming back down to earth. And let me tell you something. There are no coincidences with God. This dream is not an accident. It doesn't make a lot of sense to Jacob, but it's not an accident because Jesus identifies thousands of years later that he is the stairway. He is the ladder that the angels are going up and down on. And we're going to talk about why that's super critically important in just a second, but I want to finish this connection to Nathaniel. So a moment ago, Nathaniel was compared to Jacob by Jesus, right? You are like Jacob, but like a better version of Jacob. And then he tells Nathaniel not only are you like a better version of Jacob, you will see the fulfillment of the dream that the original Jacob had thousands of years before. Nathanael is the Israelite that Jacob should have been. He is the fulfillment of what Israel was supposed to be. And then because of that, he gets to see the fulfillment of the original vision of one of the greatest forefathers of the Israelite nation. That's huge. 
Think about it. Put yourself in his shoes, right? This guy came up and talked to you. He knows you from under a tree. He's described you. You've identified him as the son of God himself. And he tells you, you will see the fulfillment of this vision from thousands of years ago. Whoa, right? My mind would just melt in that moment. I would become excited. I would become just super eager to see what is this Jesus talking about? It become a greater pursuit for me than even Star Wars is. And you know, in fact, that's what actually happened to me. When Jesus found me, when I encountered him myself, I became fixated on Jesus. I saw him for who he really is, and I saw myself for who I really am, and I decided that he was someone worth following after, someone worth pursuing with all my strength. Like Nathaniel, in that moment, my eyes were opened and I could see him for who he is. And it was way more than enough for me. For Nathaniel, in that moment, he could see Jesus for who he was and it was more than enough for him. And it begs the question, do you see Jesus as enough? Does he shine brighter than your passions and your pursuits here on earth? I want you to really think about this today because it's really, really important. And this is the perfect time at the end of a year to be reflective. And I want you to do a comparison in your mind of how much over the last year you've pursued after Jesus and knowing him and, and learning about him and how much you've pursued learning everything about something else, some other passion you have here on earth. Because we should want to know more, experience more, feel his presence more than anything else. And there is so much more to him than just that moment when you first met him. There's so much more to him that first time you just heard about him. And Jesus shows this to us himself. He says it to Nathaniel, right? He says, you're impressed that I saw you under the fig tree. And I imagine he chuckles to himself. You're going to see far greater things than that. He could have just left it, right? He could have just said, I saw you under the fig tree. Follow me. And Nathaniel's like, great. And Jesus says, okay, see ya, and walks out, right? He could have left it at that. He could have encountered me and said, hey, John, here I am. Hey, great. And then just walk out but he doesn't leave us to our own devices. He comes that we might be saved, but he also comes that we might know him more, experience him more, and he could show us greater things about himself. And all we have to do is seek after him and follow him. It's pretty simple. John is using, the, the disciple John is using this, this gospel, this first part, to show us just how much there is for us to learn about Jesus. Check this out. I want to do an exercise with you guys. I'm going to put it up on the screen, but we're going to show you six different titles that come just out of the last 22 verses that we've read. I want you to write these down if you've got something to write on, because it's so cool to see Jesus through these different lenses, and it's fascinating to kind of see how these people are seeing Jesus. So, we'll fill them out on the screen as we go. You can open your Bible if you want to follow along with me. We're going to start at verse 29. This comes from John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he says, look, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Pastor David talked about how Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, right? He, he is the fulfillment of the sacrifice system of the Old Testament to take away sins, except Jesus is our once and for all sacrifice. Good for all the time. Our next title comes out of verse 34. It's again John the Baptist, and he says, I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one chosen one. This is actually a reference back to Isaiah 42.1, where Isaiah is prophesying about the deliverer of Israel, and he says, God is going to send a servant, his chosen one, and he will put his Holy Spirit on his chosen one. Now, remember, John the Baptist had just baptized Jesus. He saw 
the Holy Spirit descend onto Jesus in the form of a dove, and so he could identify, this is the chosen one. This is the chosen one. Next up, verse 41. This is Andrew this time saying to Simon Peter, he says, we have found the Messiah, the Messiah. All the Jews would have known this word. They would have known what this meant. This was the deliverer. This was the savior of Israel. They had been waiting for this person for thousands of years, and so it was very significant. Up next, Philip in verse 45, he says, he found Nathanael. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. So I'm going to say this is the prophesied one. Jesus is the prophesied one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. Jesus is the culmination of thousands of years of prophecy going all the way back to Genesis 3. From the very beginning, he is the prophesied one. Lastly, Nathanael gives us our last two in verse 49, right? He says, you are the son of God and you are the king of Israel. So Nathanael's giving us those last two. And each one of these people is describing Jesus a different way. They're giving us a different picture of who Jesus is and why he came. Six different ways to describe Jesus in 22 verses. And the funny thing is, they just barely scratch the surface of who Jesus is. I want you to see what John is doing here in his gospel, because John has a perspective. John is putting these stories in this order in a very specific purpose. He's building to verse 51, which is the climax of his argument, and he's so excited to show us that, but he packs in so much information in this one chapter. I want to list off for you every title contained in these 51 verses for Jesus that John puts in. There are 15 of them in 51 verses. I'm going to rapid fire them off. You won't have to write them down because I'm going to go quick, but here we go. Word, God, light, flesh, glory, ancient, Lord, Lamb of God, chosen one, rabbi, Messiah, prophesied one, son of God, king of Israel, son of man. 15 titles in 51 verses. I can't math that out, but that's a lot in a very small space, right? That's significant. John is showing us and his Jewish readers, look, this is the one. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the son of God. Do you know Jesus? Do you know these things about him? Do you recognize these titles? John is showing us that Jesus is way more than just some good man or a moral teacher. He is the son of the living God, God himself in human form, the Messiah, the Savior. Jesus is not somebody you meet and you just know everything about immediately. It doesn't work that way. You will spend your entire life seeking after and learning more about Jesus, and guess what? You'll just barely scratch the surface because there's so much to know about him, and he is worth knowing. And John is bringing all of this. He's giving us all these titles to bring us to the climax in verse 51 with Jesus meeting Nathaniel, and then this vision that Jacob had. It all comes to the fact that Jesus is this vision. He's the fulfillment of this vision. Nathaniel says, you are the son of God. Jesus says, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because he is all these things, but he's this ladder. He is this stairway to heaven. What on earth does that mean, <laughs> right? What is, what is being a ladder? Why is that significant? This is straight from Jesus' mouth. This is the climax. This is the crux of everything in this chapter. Jesus is saying, I am the bridge between heaven and earth. I am the only way to the Father. What does he say later? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way we can get to God. He is the bridge across the gap that our sin separates us from God. He is that. 
And he tells us that using a vision from thousands of years before. Nothing is wasted with God. Nothing. If this were the gospel according to John, meaning me, John, I would have dropped the mic right here. Be like, we're done. Because in the beginning of his ministry, Jesus has shown us the entirety of the gospel in one sentence. I am the way. I am the bridge. It's so significant. And you can tell just from all this stuff that John has shown us, ending in this climax, that there is far, far greater things that we can learn about Jesus as well. And my question to all of us this morning is, are we eager to see far greater things about God and from God? Are you eager to see far greater things from God? Ask yourself that question. Do you get excited about the thought of knowing more about God, seeing more of what he can do? Are you eager to see what he can do with your life if you surrender it to him? Over the last two months as we've studied the book of John, has it gotten you excited seeing all these different aspects of Jesus, different lenses to view him through? Because we got so many different of them, like 15, right? 15 to 51, so many different lenses to view Jesus. And really the question is, if Jesus walked through those doors right now, he walked up to your seat and said to you, hey, follow me. Hey, follow me. Follow me. What would you do? Would you drop everything? Would you drop everything and follow him, even if it's hard? Because that's what he's doing every single day. I don't want you to miss this. Every single day, Jesus comes to you and says, hey, today, follow me. We're told to go and tell others, come and see, so they can also hear. But the message from Jesus to them is the same one to us, and it's follow me. Follow me. And just like Jesus promised Nathaniel and the others with him, that they would see far greater things if they followed, the same promise is available to us. I want to give you some examples of things that I've seen in my short time following Jesus. These are amazing. In Africa, on some missions trips, I have seen blind people regain their sight. I have seen deaf people regain their hearing. I saw a mute child that had never spoken in her entire life say her first word, and her first word was, Amen. I saw a man whose leg was crippled. I put my hands on it, and it felt cold and dead to my touch, and I saw that man walk without crutches for the first time. And that is just barely scratching the surface. And frankly, it is not even the biggest miracle because the biggest miracle that we got to see was tens of thousands of people following Jesus for the first time. Tens of thousands of eternities changed forever. You want to talk about greater things? I have seen some wild stuff. And you know why our team in Africa got to see those things? Because when Jesus came to us and said, follow me, even to the ends of the earth, we went. Did we see them because we were perfect? Because we had our lives all figured out? Because we prayed just the right way? Because we were special in some way? No, I'm none of those things. And yet, because we were willing to follow, even when it was difficult, we got to see God move in absolutely mind-blowing ways that we would not have seen and got to know him more in ways we never would have seen here, do you think those things can actually happen? Do you believe those things can actually happen? Do you long to see them? Let's just take a second and talk about the history of our church. Because friends, you're sitting in a miracle right now. 
This building, those seats, the spots at the back, the kids' wing that just finished, the wing that they're finishing right now, the corner lot, the extra acre by kinder care, every single one of these was a miracle from God, full stop. We could not have done it ourselves. We prayed like crazy people, begging God to move. And you know what? Every single time, God knocked our socks off. We do not deserve any of the credit for any of these things that I've mentioned because God deserves the glory because he's the one that does them. He does the greater things. But don't hear me wrong, okay? It sounds really good, but don't hear me wrong. It does not mean your life is going to be sunshine and rainbows. It does not mean everything's going to be easy. Jesus says following him is difficult. It is hard, but it is worth it. Think about this. Our building project has been an emotional roller coaster and challenging at times and a decade in the making, and yet it has been 100% worth it for every single person that's come to Christ here. Our trips to Africa were difficult. People ended up in mall jail with Pastor David. Our flights to Tanzania got delayed for 20 hours and we missed a whole day of ministry, and it was 100% worth it. Jesus had to come and die to save us. Was it worth it? You better believe it. His disciples were persecuted and martyred for their faith. Was it worth it? I'm willing to bet they would say yes, 100%. It is challenging. It is difficult to follow Jesus. But what God does promise us is that if we are willing to step out, if we will seek him, if we will answer the call to follow, we will see far greater things than you've ever imagined. I'm not talking just about miracles and stuff because that's good, but the real miracle is you can know the living God. You can encounter him. You can experience him. That is the real miracle, is being in community with God himself. Everything else is the cherry on the top. And do you ever wonder what you might be missing out on? Because Jesus is coming to you every single day saying, follow me. Follow me a little further. Follow me a little deeper. And you might be saying no. What might you be missing? What would it be like to say yes, even though it's hard? Let me give you an idea of what you might find. A new pursuit, a new purpose that far exceeds anything else you can find here on earth. It is worth it. Seek after Jesus. Learn everything you can. Follow him. Because I'm telling you, there's nothing better than him. There's always so much more we can learn and experience. There are greater things waiting for us. Nothing can ruin Jesus. And we have not seen anything yet. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for all the ways you've revealed yourself to us, for the ways that you have provided for us, Lord. There is so much more for us to know and experience with you. And so we ask for a moment of encountering you right now, Father, as we worship, that you would meet us, that you would encounter us, that you would change our minds, change our perspectives, that we'd be willing to step out and follow when you approach us to say, follow me, that we wouldn't be afraid that we would step out in faith. And Lord, that through that faith, we would see you do greater things and that we would experience you in greater ways, Father. Thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.